for the technical problems going on, but hey, you got old TK here, and of course the sidekick, Jay Everett Pierce, here on the Watkins Awards show. And it's another great Monday. It can't get no better than this here. Man, we got a powerful show today, as always. So, Mr. Pearsall. Yes, sir. I mean, here we go again with them cowboys in the back. But I'm not going to say anything. I am not going to say anything. I'm not going to let you ruin my day. Because today, we got a special guest that's coming up today, man. And I'm telling you, this guy, Luke Powell, is, look, I normally don't start with introducing our guest until a few minutes in. But Luke, holy cowboy, we got something today. So, Mr. Pearson, tell me, tell me, I mean, when you first I, I guess read something on this guy, Luke Powell. I, I want to start right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I apologize because the views and opinion <laughs> of the Watkins Award are the views and opinion of J. Everett Pearsall and I, T. Tate, Coach T. Tate. We have to do this because I don't want anyone taking this out on. Uh, uh, BBS radio or taking it out on any of our advertisers or sponsors. So these are our views and opinions. So I, I needed to I needed to just do that disclaimer there because if I don't do that laundry, man, I don't want to get this this radio station in trouble. Because I mean, every time I mean, people are gonna start thinking that maybe Stanford is doing something special for the Watkins Award or they wholesaling students. Everybody talks about how hard it is to get into STEM. But we got all these African-American athletes who are getting in to Stanford. Man, Mr. Mr. Pearson, tell me. I, I want to get straight to the juggler on this one here because I, I, let me go back. Let me Let me just go back just for a second. Mr. Franklin D. Watkins, he created this award for what? What did he create this award for, Mr. Pearson? Well, well, again, you know, let me go back to your first statement. You said that Watkins Award uh, individuals or caliber of men are getting into Stanford. We're not getting into Stanford. We're blowing the doors down. We're not just getting into Stanford. We are the standard. You understand? So <laughs> let me just tell you that first, because it's just, you know, we're not just getting in. Um, okay. When you talk about Franklin D. Watkins, you're talking about an individual with whom we named the award after because he is one of the co-founders of the National Alliance of African-American Athletes. And when we thought about the things that we wanted to do as an organization and individuals that we wanted involved with the organization, as well as athletes that we wanted to recognize, it was those athletes that were recognizing for the Watkins Award, named after Franklin D. Watkins, the premier scholar athletes in the country, noted for not their athletic ability, but their character, their scholastic aptitude, their community service, and what they represent away from whatever sport that they play. And so that's what Franklin D. Watkins believed in as a family man, as a coach, as a counselor, 
uh, as a God-fearing individual in his community and, uh, and a strong a pillar of his community as well. Um, that's what he represented. And he wanted to bring those elements out and recognize them, those uh, characteristics in individuals that the world just thought were great athletes and would be pigeon-held um, as young Black men for being just athletes, stereotyped for being just athletes. And we're showing the world, as I just mentioned to you before, we're not getting into Stanford. We're blowing the doors down. I, I, I like that. I mean, I, I like that, uh, Pierre Saw. I mean, especially if you know the standards that it takes to get into Stanford. I mean, clearly, they hold the student athletes just as accountable for the admissions criteria, no different than a student who's going to major in engineering, pre-med, English, law, whatever the major is. These young men are held to the same standard. I mean, look, they've even said it. I mean, this just this is the 31st edition of the first 31, 31 <laughs> out of 31 shows. We have had Wayne Lyons was the first, J.R. Lemon, Bobby Okariki, uh, David Yankee. Oh man, I have I, I miscounted. We've had nine. Uh David Yankee, Justin Reed. Jamal Rashad Patterson, Chris Lewis, Marcus McCutcheon, and now Luke Pop. You, you, you forgot James Vaughters. It's 10. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> man, you are absolutely Man, this is unbelievable. 10 African-American scholar athletes have gone on to Stanford and graduated. I mean, and in some cases, some of these guys have graduated with two degrees. One of them graduated, went to a Big Ten school. I'm not giving no free advertising, but he goes to a Big Ten school, plays on the football team, and graduates again. Man, this, this is like... I mean, clearly, there must be some confused listeners out there. Now, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but if it's somebody saying these two guys are up here pulling out late, this is fake news. They calling it everything they want to call. But when you first heard of Luke Powell, when he got on your radar, what was it that percolated your interest? Because there's some things I'm going to bring out today about Luke that's unbelievable. But what percolated your interest? You know, again, he was a scholar athlete from, you know, an area that really uh, we hadn't touched. And when we talked to Chris and we talked to Nick and, and talked about the fact that in, back in 1998, uh, we were trying to establish the award Although a national award, we wanted to establish it in a place where people recognize it all over the globe. It certainly gave us an opportunity to recognize an individual in a state and a city 
uh, that we had never touched and uh, and that we had never been to and certainly not, not recognized as, as an award and as an organization. But he as an individual, um, uh, we you know I didn't get a chance to go to his game in high school as I've had an opportunity with others. But when I heard from coaches and when I heard from individuals about who he was, what he represented, I already saw what his grade point average was looking like. And then all of the accolades that he received on the field, I was absolutely stunned and just couldn't wait for the opportunity to meet the young man and his family. Um, but again, you know, he represented well and has always represented well. But he astounded me with, you know, where he came out of. And then he kind of earned the right to be nationally acclaimed for all the things that he did. Well, let's get it straight. His GPA was a full point, huh? Uh, so, yes. I mean, let's, let's, let's get that straight right now. And he was a quarterback, uh, an option-type quarterback, because his senior year he had over 1,000 yards in passing, 1,000 yards in rushing. I mean, that's not – and they won the state championship. So we're talking – there was a lot of things going on in the garage that this guy was working on. And somehow he was able to maintain some kind of focus. Now, you know, look, I'm not like you. I don't have a wardrobe of outfits. So I had to go back and get my Cardinal red out and represent Stanford, put my stadium back up out there. I was having some technical difficulties, but a lot of people saw Luke's picture. Now, I'm going to tell you something that happened. I sent, you know, I'm, I'm sending out a bunch of uh, text messages, emails, twittering, you know, the social network stuff. And a guy hit me back from Utah. Now, this is, this is a, he probably listening to the show. So he's my, he's my, uh, my blue-eyed brother, a Caucasian guy. A great, I mean, just an awesome dude, man. He hit me back and said, oh, yeah. I remember that guy, Luke Powell. He said, man, that dude was a beast out there. Now, he's in Utah. This, this guy, Luke, is, I mean, he's a legend out there on the West Coast, man. He is a legend. So, you know what, I, you know, there's a, a couple of things I like to do, but hey, all I can do is do, you know, shout outs to Magic Waste Ballet, and Auto Quick Lube, Exotic Caution, JMA Solutions, uh, JC Loftons. You know, I, I just do a shout out to them because Luke has come up, man, and look here, uh, all I can tell you, you know, it's... It, Everybody has a unique background, but we talking about a guy who his background is, I mean, man, I'm, I, I had to scratch my head because I call my guys up. I talk to all my coaching colleagues around the country. Uh, I even went into Tennessee and there were things that were said about Luke that they talk about that they say will never be, they just don't believe it'll never be done again. This is just, 
how the the legend is living, man. This man, I'm scratching my head on Luke. So let's. I'm. I'm gonna get. I mean, look. He was first team All American. As I mentioned, his senior year, he he uh, he threw for over a thousand. He ran for over a thousand. So he was a read option quarterback. I mean, he was an exceptional student. So. You know, with all that said, because I want to get straight to the juggler, because he was one of the top quarterbacks coming out of the country at that time. On board, ladies and gentlemen, look, it is no myth. This isn't something that Mr. Pearsall and I are making up. We got Mr. Luke Powell on board. Luke, can you hear me? Yes, sir. How you doing? Man... I'm doing super fantastic. And look here, I'm not trying to embarrass you today, but man, I got to get some stuff out of you. Because we got young men, young ladies as well, but we got we got kids, youth, who are trying to figure out what is the secret sauce? What is it that they have to do in grade school, whether it's private school, public school, home school, but it's some kind of school. What is it that they have to do in order to find themselves in a position that you found yourself as a senior? But here's the, the first question is, when did it start, man? This education thing, because you was a 4.0 when you graduated. So did you hit your head on a rock? It was a, uh, it was a 3.9, 3.94, I believe, but close enough. You round it up, it'll be a 4. Um, but I say that um, that really started at home with my parents. Um, everything, uh, everything that I I stressed or or wanted to do, like play sports or play outside or watch TV, uh, none of that came before doing my schoolwork. And then I would just say that you know my dad instilled in me to to do things correctly the first time and have pride in in the little tasks that he would give me. Um, <laughs> I can remember, um, if I had to sweep the floor and I, I, I'd sweep it and then he'd find little crumbs somewhere. I'd have to sweep the whole floor over again, not just that one little spot where the crumbs were. So I quickly learned as a, as a young buck to do things right the first time and, and take pride in it. And so I think that just kind of, um, uh, I took that with me into schoolwork and, you know, you get straight to to the point where a lot of my motivation came from. I grew up in a mostly white uh, school system. There's probably only five to 10 percent black. And I from a very young age, I felt like I was the uh, uh, the representative of the race to uh, to to these uh, white teachers and my white classmates. So. Um, I felt like I had to be at my best all the time. Um, so yeah, it, it, a lot of a lot of motivations went into me um, just figuring out. Um, you know, I got to put my best foot forward every time and uh, not sell for anything less. Well, you know, you you've already gone to maybe my third or fourth question, but I'm gonna get to it right now. You were in high school, and I looked the number up. I talked to a couple of coaches. 
there was only 7% African-American. Over 85%, I think it was 86 point something percent uh, Caucasian. And then you sprinkle the rest in there. But mm-hmm. how do you keep the kind of focus? Is that stress that you had to be a, a 3.9 mm-hmm. and also an all-American, academic all-American quarterback in that kind of environment? Man, you was in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. I think, uh, I mean, there was some stress. Um, I, looking back and growing up, I would say I wasn't, and I just told somebody this the other day, I don't think I was the best athlete in my, in my grade level until about seventh or eighth grade, probably seventh grade. Um, leading up to that, you know, gr- uh, playing t-ball and youth league football, um, I, w- I would say there were a handful of guys that were just, you know, better athletes than me. And then as I got older and I was, I always was self-driven and, you know, some of that discipline that my, my father instilled in me, I think about seventh grade, eighth grade is when um, something just clicked and my play on the field elevated and, um, so then people were kind of looking at me as the, the, the leader of the team or, or the best player on the team. And so um, I carried that with me and, you know, even I'm kind of going off track I forget your original question, but I, I think uh, about seventh or eighth grade is when I kind of started putting the pressure on myself to, to, to do everything and to excel at, at everything schoolwork and, um, uh, and athletics. I, I think I had the foresight to, in, in middle school, I remember thinking when I get to high school, I'm going to try to get a 4.0 so I can get an academic scholarship and walk on to a, uh, to a football team. That was my goal going into high school. And uh, going into my ninth grade year, I just wanted to be on the varsity team and help the, the, the senior quarterback warm up on the field. So, so that, that was my goal, which is, you know, the bar was kind of low. I ended up uh, starting at receiver on, at the time, the best team that, that the school had ever had. We ended up making it to the uh, semifinals of the playoffs where we got beat by like the three-time defending state champion. Um, but that was the best team that the school had ever had. And I was a starting receiver as a freshman. Um, so it was uh, – I don't know. Just uh, this is this is taking me back. This is just that mindset that I had back then. It's been a long time since I thought about the, these sort of things. That's okay. I mean, you. <laughs> so you become. You get to your senior year, and man, you 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 one of those superior athletes. Your talent supersedes everybody. You're you know your your grade point average. You're a great student. So how in the world? in a place that's only 7% African-American, can you get out of that state without going to the University of Tennessee? How did you get out of there? Um, You know, growing up, a lot of people were Tennessee fans and uh, Alabama fans. And my parents are both from Kentucky, but we, we never had, my dad was from Louisville, my mom's from a small town in Western Kentucky. And she went to Western Kentucky. So 
while my dad and I watched sports together, we never sat around and watched any particular um, professional team or any college team. So I never, I never grew up with the uh, affection for Tennessee or Alabama uh, or Vanderbilt, who's right there. Um, so um, my senior year, I, I mean, for those that don't know, uh, I'm only five eight, and I wanted to play receiver in high in college. So um, Tennessee was one of those schools that, you know, they 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 recruit me out of a courtesy. But then when it comes down to to really, you know, uh, offer somebody and really show your interest, they were one of the teams that uh, did not express interest uh, because of my height. Uh, I think they got two guys that year who were both like six two, six three, and uh, you know, it's, it's it's no harm. Like I I, I understand. Um, as, as a coach, cause I've been a coach, you get, you have a mold that you want to your players to fit in. And that includes, uh, you know, how physical their physical stature. And that wasn't me. So, um, what's funny though, is that I had other teams who did offer me, who, who beat Tennessee consistently like the university of Florida, um, <laughs> So, so it was funny that a school like Florida would want me and yet Tennessee did not. So, um, so yeah, it is what it is. So you, you leave, you go to, because you, you still a lot of my questions, you, because you know what I'm, where I'm going, but you leave, you go to Stanford, they go to stadium behind me. So mm-hmm. I, I, I love Palo Alto, man. I, man, I love that town, man. You can smell money technology money all around that place, man. But it's a great uh, place, not only for education, because you're talking about the top academic school in the world. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great place for athletics. The social life is is great. But you get out to Stanford. And here's a, a question I got for you. Your major. What made you take the major that you took and I, and help explain that to me. <laughs> so it's uh, comparative studies and race and ethnicity. And uh, my concentration was public policy and education. So uh, similar to what I previously, previously spoke about, just growing up in, in a community where um, pretty much everybody is white, white and black, pretty much everyone is uh, Christian. Um, going out to Stanford, well, first, um, seeing that seeing that dynamic as a young kid and, and living through um, um, different biases and perceived slights that uh, I felt like I had growing up and feeling like I was the representative of the entire race when I was, you know, in honors classes and I was the only black student. Um, all of that it was just really interesting to me, that dynamic, why I felt the way I did and and just learning about the racial dynamics and, and um, how it played a role in uh, public policy in this country and, uh, you know, the education uh, policy in this country. And so um, that was something that really interested me. And um, and yeah, so that was. Uh, that was the major I, I I chose. I think it. I think it. Um, 
you know, my passion is to help young people, um, you know, get the most of their uh, educational experience. So uh, I've been working, I worked in college athletics for about 10 years. I, I took a couple years off. And most recently, I've been helping my buddy start a, a COVID-19 uh, diagnostic, diagnostic testing lab. But I intend to get back into college athletics. And I really just want to help other young minority um, student athletes take advantage of the opportunities that are given to them when, when they're involved in sports. When they go off to a university, and it doesn't have to be Stanford. I mean, there, there are a lot of people who um, come from families that, you know, they may be the first in their family to attend a four-year college or the second in their family to attend a four-year college. I think that college experience is life-changing. Uh, uh, you're talking about creating generational wealth with the connections that are at your disposal. Um, and I, I really would like to be a part of helping others uh, fully uh, fulfill that potential or realize the uh, enormous uh, opportunity that they have in their hands and, and, and do what I can to help them maximize that. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of, kind of reason why I chose that major and why I chose the career field that I did. So when you get out to Stanford, you know, obviously you, well, I shouldn't assume anything, but you get to Stanford. Seems like you got a chip on your shoulder because you, you, as you mentioned, you're five, eight, but you're one of the top punt returners uh, in the history of Stanford, including right now. Mm-hmm. And you go out there, you become all first team All American. Uh, so, did you, I mean, these schools that kind of played around with you and you get out mm-hmm. of the stamp, was that in the back of your mind? You get ready to prove people wrong when you got out there and saw that stadium? Um, first of all, like, like Stanford, there's so many people that, um, are really good at a lot of things. A lot of people are excellent at a lot of different things. So it's almost like you get out there and mediocrity is not accepted. So um, I got out there and I felt I had the potential to to be one of the top punt returners in the country. Um, and as a punt returner, anybody who's out there who uh, who is a returner, you really only you, you know that you're really only as good as the the ten guys that are in front of you that give you the time and the space to, um, you know, get busy back there. And you gotta make a couple guys miss initially, usually, and then um, you get get behind your blockers and and they kind of lead you down the field. So I can't take all the credit, um, and I and I really. I really do mean that. I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to do a humble brag or whatever they say these days. I'm not, I'm not just being humble for the sake of being humble. I, um, because I do think so that I, I made all American my sophomore year, um, was the second leading punt returner in the country. And then my junior and senior year, I'd say that we, we didn't have as good of a scheme. We had different coaching staff. We didn't have a, as good of a scheme um back there and I didn't do as well and I felt like my skills uh I was battling some injuries my junior year but my senior year I felt like my skills um were the same if not better just having more experience back there 
Um, but schematically, um, we just couldn't put the pieces together. And so it affects, it affects your, uh, your success back there. If you don't have the people in front of you blocking. So, um, if any of my former teammates are, are listening to this, just know that, uh, when, when people talk about me having an all American honor, I, uh, I do give credit to those people who are blocking for me and, and creating that, creating that, uh, opportunity. Well, that, that speaks for your character, the type of man that you are, because, you know, you've come through the Watkins Award not only as a humble student athlete, but you get your degree, you go on, you get an opportunity uh, and play in the NFL, a uh, couple of teams. But I guess that experience of getting out to Stanford after you left Tennessee I mean, what is your uh, advice for a, a student athlete who finds himself trying to make up his mind, okay, I want to go to school, I want to play sports, I want to use sports to get a free education. Now, what does he do now? Because you have to be careful what you ask for, because once you got it, that's the fire department out there in Stanford. Ain't nobody giving you, I, I'm sure you had a couple of teachers that probably, ah, uh, you look. You look pie. I'm going to take it easy on you today. But what do you tell these students, man, about focus? Um, I didn't have any teachers that, that uh, professors that took it easy on me. That's for sure. But I would say that, um, and this is something that I, I battled once I got there. Um, I, was, I was the only one in my family on either side to, to attend an elite university my both my I mean I'm fortunate that both my parents went to four-year colleges and they stress education um I I think that that is important in my development um but they didn't they you know they attended smaller um like my dad attended Kentucky State my mom attended Western Kentucky most of her uh siblings attended Western Kentucky had a couple of aunts and uncles who were in the military and then, uh, and then, you know, just work, they didn't, they didn't go to school. So for me, and they're also coming from Smyrna, there, there aren't a lot of people from Smyrna who are attending, you know, the Ivy leagues. We had a couple that went to <clears throat> service academies, but for the most part, no one's really going to, um, you know, that elite caliber school. So when I got out to Stanford, I would say I, I battled a little complacency with, uh, you know, I, I felt I've, I've done more than anybody that I grew up with, anybody that was in my family by just being accepted and being here. And I would say I probably, I, I did not work as hard as I should have my first couple of years. And eventually I just, I looked at my GPA there's no need to uh, discuss what that was, but it was not good. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was uh, somebody, somebody asked me like, you're really, uh, you're really messing up out there or something. And I, and, and I knew I wasn't messing up where they said like, it's really hard. It wasn't, I mean, the work was hard, but I knew I wasn't given the, the effort that I should have been. And so my last two and a half years, I spent tried, trying to, um, you know, retake classes and get my GPA up, back up where it's respectable. 
so I can say like I graduated with a respectable GPA, but those first couple of years, I, I really felt like I had made it and I was complacent. And so I would tell a young person if they are in a situation where they they set a goal for themselves and they obtain it, set set another goal, set a higher goal. Um, don't don't get complacent with or don't rest on your laurels, which was what my uh, coaches used to always say, um, because, uh, you know, they say, what is it? Good is the enemy of great. So, you know, don't, don't settle for being good when you have the potential to be great. Okay. So I, I before I pass you on over to uh, Mr. Pearsaw, just quickly, if you can, you got, Two girls now, right? I'm three. Three girls. Oh my good man, that family getting big over there, man. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. So knowing what you know, what is it differently that you may do with your girls to have them prepared for that next step to go to college one day? Um well, the the emphasis my parents put on education is something that my wife and I will instill in our kids. Uh, I met my wife at Stanford as well, so she and she comes from a family of, of educated uh, people. So I, they're gonna they're gonna know the importance of education, and we won't allow them to. Um, do the fun things until schoolwork is taken care of. And I, and, and I'm going to make sure that, that they always know that, you know, they need to put their best, their best foot forward. And again, this comes from my dad. If that's a B, then that's a B. If that's a C, then that's a C. But if, if your if your potential is an A, you shouldn't settle for anything less than that. And so I, I'm trying to, they're, my oldest are four. I got four-year-old twins, and then I have a five-month-old, um, all girls. And I'm, I'm picturing where I'm going to say to them when they get around that age. And and I really don't want to put the pressure on them to attend Stanford or attend the elite school or be good at any particular sport. I just want them to find something that they're passionate about, and I want them to uh, not settle for less than their best. And, uh, and so I, I guess that's not different than what I, uh, what I, the way I was brought up. Um, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I don't feel a lot of pressure because I know my wife's going to do a great job in, in, in helping me, uh, instill those values in our, in our children. So it's, uh, what I mostly stress about once they get to teenage age and, and I got to worry about boys like, like me. So the way I, the way I was, so, so that's what I'm mostly worried about. So I got about eight to 10 more years before I got worried about that. Oh man. Well, thanks again, man. It was a pleasure. And I know the Pearsaw is getting ready to, he getting ready to blast off. I can see it in his face. <laughs> John Lucian Powell, AKA Lou, AKA Mr. Powell, AKA Mr. Smyrna, Tennessee, a.k.a. Mr. Little Big Man, a.k.a. Mr. High Flyer, a.k.a. Mr. Acrobat, a.k.a. 
pound for pound. The best football player I have ever seen, a.k.a. Mr. Pac-12 All-American, a.k.a. the original Wes Welker, a.k.a. the original <laughs> slot receiver, a.k.a. if you throw it to me, I'm going to catch it. Welcome to the show, Mr. Life Coach, Mr. Sport Coach, Mr. Educational Coach, Lou. How you doing, E? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Good to see you. Good to have hey. you on the show. Hey, I appreciate I appreciate you guys having me on. Let me paint this picture. And, and I got a chance to talk to Chris a couple of weeks ago on the show. But when I think back to 1998, as an organization, the National Alliance of African-American Athletes that gives away this Franklin D. Watkins Award, we had conducted award mini ceremonies where we had awarded guys. But we kept calling this award a national award. However, it wasn't really a national award because there weren't people all over the country that were recognizing what we were doing. And so in 1998, when I look at what you did for this award, you, Chris, Derek, and Nick, we have people that covered each corner of the United States, the best linebacker, the best quarterback, the best running back, and the best athlete in the country. And they all, you guys, were being recognized for having 4.0 grade point averages. Yes, I hear you say 3.94. We're going to round it up and give you that 0.06. 4.0 grade point averages. The best of the best. And all you guys showed up in Charlotte at the time, and I had an opportunity to meet you and through the process meet your family and your dad and, and recognize from the humble beginnings that the foundation that had been set early on for you and, and really what a blessing, a blessing it was to have the opportunity to be there and watch you as an individual go through what you went through and continue to fight through the things you had to fight through to be who you are, underestimated as I know you always were. But let me ask you this question, because you touched on it when you talked about mediocrity and mediocrity not being settled for. When you look at yourself in a small town of Smyrna, which I had to find on the map, you know, I kind of knew where, where Tennessee and then I'm narrowed it down to Nashville. And I'm like, where the hell is Smyrna? So I look and I'm like, okay, here it is. Low dot up here. Now this cat come out of Smyrna, the best athlete in the country, right? Everybody's talking about him for everything that he does, receiving, running, quarterbacking. How, how do you not settle for mediocrity when you're the best athlete for sure in Smyrna, but really in the nation? And how do you become the best athlete and stay focused on being the best uh, academic and educational focused individual that you were? In high school or after, in high, after school. high school? In high school. Um, I, was, I was really focused on doing something that nobody had done in Smyrna for 40 or 50 years. I was the first person from my high school, from my town to play major division one football since like the late sixties and that particular gentleman, I was told played one semester and got homesick and came home and had a kid. So, and, and so he never went back to school. So I, I, uh, I was just adamant, like I said before, like I, no one really had been recruited. I mean, the senior quarterback when I was a freshman, he was pretty heavily recruited and then he got into some trouble, but other than him, 
Um, I didn't know anybody who had been recruited. Just, you know, I just watched different movies and and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, before or back then, they didn't have all these recruiting websites and uh, TV shows. It kind of was just getting started, all these rankings and, and stuff. And so I, uh, I was just really focused on being the best I could, I could be, but I knew that being from Smyrna didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't mean that I could not achieve that. And I kind of, <clears throat> I kind of wanted to show that somebody from Smyrna could uh, make it to big time division one college football. And so that, that was another one of my motivations. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think, when I look back, what I'm most proud of is that I was pretty self-driven. Uh, it's not something that my parents pushed for me to, to get a scholarship or attend uh, an elite university or anything like that. But I, I wanted, I knew that I had that potential and I wanted to do everything I could to have that opportunity. And so I, <clears throat> I saw the mistakes that people around me had made or things that I heard about and, uh, I was determined to not fall in those same pitfalls. So drugs and alcohol, you know, I, I stayed away from that, stayed away from uh, um, a lot of the other social things. Uh, some of the social things I did partake in, but I was smart about it. Uh, so I, I knew once my opportunity came that I was going to be able to, to go where I wanted. And um, I knew I wanted to get away from home, but I didn't know I was going to go that far away. Uh, it wasn't until I went on my official visit and uh, it was January. It was only my second, my first plane flight was to Sharp or Harrisburg, I believe. I think we did Harrisburg first for the Watkins Award. We did Charlotte. We did, Charlotte? We did the announcement. Okay. Then we went to Harrisburg. Yep. Okay. So first, my first flight was to Charlotte. My second flight ever was to Stanford. Um, and I went, th- went out there in January and it was, uh, it was about 30 degrees at home. It was about 75 degrees in San Jose when we touched down. And I was like, man, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to be. So it's <laughs> kind of how I got out there. Man, I love it. And, and, and I think the more of the story of what you just said is the fact that, you know, be focused, be self-motivated, set your goals, and then go after them. Because you have within you to handle what it is that you want to accomplish your goals, but you have to be singularly focused and be able to kind of look at what it is that you want to be at the end and do the things that's going to help you to get there. Now, again, can I say something about that? Absolutely. Like, I, absolutely. I, I feel like a lot of young people, they get discouraged when there's people that don't believe in them. Uh, they don't have a teacher or a coach or a counselor that believes in their abilities and, and I don't want people to think that, you know, everyone was just super supportive of me and had the same confidence in, in me that I had in myself, because that wasn't the case. Like I said, nobody in my family had participated or, you know, played division, major Division One sports or attended a, a, an elite university. So, I mean, there were questions from my own family if, if uh, this was something like that I was capable of doing. Uh, my counselor, after I got back from my Stanford trip, my guidance counselor, when I told her how how uh, positive my trip went and how nice everyone was, and I remember her response was, well, don't you think they were like that because they knew you played football? 
And wow. And so it was like, and, and, and it wasn't like that at Stanford. I would say Stanford was different where I went out there, people were like, uh, school is hard, but if you get in, you can do it. If you work hard, we're going to try to win. We're not going to use academics as, as an excuse that while we're not winning, we're still going to try to win on the field. And you're going to compete in the classroom. And that's what drew me to the school. And so, um, but yeah, if, if, if you're not, you know, if, if you're not around a lot of people that are, that have the same mindset as you, or, you know, people don't believe in you, like you, you just got to have the belief in yourself and use their, their uh, negative uh, perception of your situation. You got to turn that around as a positive. One of the things I admire about Michael Jordan is, uh, you know, he he would take any little thing that somebody would say as a perceived slight, and he would use that as motivation. Now, here's the the, the best basketball player who's ever lived. That's that's facts for the uh, uh, LeBron fans out there. Michael Jordan's the best basketball player that ever lived. But even even while he was the best player, he would use he would make up uh, perceived slights that people had against him to motivate himself. It's like, you got to do, you got to do whatever it takes. You got to use whatever motivation that will get you fired up to, to get to the goal that you want. And it's not anybody else's um, job to help you get there. It's nice. It's nice. It's, it's nice if you did have somebody that could help you on, along your way, but at the end, it's going to be just you as your decision it's your life that you got to live with. And so, uh, you just got to be self-driven to 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 do it yourself. Absolutely. Now, you know, again, when I talk about the fact that you were the best athlete and you didn't let anyone tell you what you were not capable of doing, I think about the fact that, you know, Stanford gives me some of the uh, perks of being the guy that started the Watkins Award. But one of the things I've gotten to do is to walk down where the players actually change and they have to the left. Uh, all of the individuals that have achieved the Pac-12 All-American. And, and, you know, when I look at those and I see the John Elways and the Jim Plunkett, and all of a sudden I come down and I see Luke Powell. I see him up on the board. I'm like, oh, my God, my first guy up here. Look at him. And I'm just staring at it. I'm taking a picture of it. And I didn't know how to do selfies at the time. But I'm trying to get other people to get my head next to this plaque that says All-American Luke Powell. I knew you were going to be able to do those things out there. But as you went through from high school to college, you know, and I know you had an opportunity to meet Chris while you were uh, at the Watkins Award, and then you go through some of the things that you've done now, just kind of tell some of our listening audience, what has the Watkins Award meant to you in your journey? Um, I mean, man, going back to what I said about just being the only representative of of my race in my um uh in my honors classes or you know being you know the only black person in the top 20 25 of my class um my class rankings then to to meet chris and uh i mean so chris was from long beach chris lewis is a quarterback he's from long beach i read about him in some uh magazines and whatnot he was he was a big shot he was a real he was a real big shot and then uh me and chris me and derek 
And Nick Maddox, he was another big shot. Um, so I, uh, I, I read about him in some magazines as well. But just being around people who are like-minded and who look like me, who uh, may have not gone through the same thing because I think they went, they came from some more uh, diverse areas. But, um, but I think the perception um, in society is the same, that, you know, you're a dumb athlete, you're a dumb Black athlete. And so we all uh, face that to some degree. And uh, it was just encouraging to see other people and be around other people who um, who felt that same pressure or stigma and, and were trying to uh, trying to fight that? Uh, I would say that Stanford or Chris had, having already committed to Stanford made my decision a little bit easier to to attend. Um, it was just another level. It was another thing that made me comfortable about going that far away from home is that I would at least have somebody that I was somewhat familiar with you know back then there was no Facebook or Twitter or any of that stuff so I, I think we may have talked on the phone a couple of times between the Watkins award and when we uh, uh, when we reported but we didn't have free long distance either so it wasn't like we were talking very often and you know we might have talked a couple of times but you know I wasn't going to pay that extra phone bill uh, so anyway, um, but yeah, Chris, Chris was, Chris is still a friend to this day. Obviously um, we had some good times in college and uh, you know, I, I would love to uh, reconnect with Derek and, and Nick. I've talked to them uh, sporadically through the years, but, um, and I've, I've watched them far and what they're doing. Uh, I'm, I'm just proud of, proud of all of them um, because um especially Chris and Nick, you know, there was a lot of pressure on them. People assumed that they would have these long careers in the NFL and um, that didn't happen to them, but they're, they're still successful in their, in their life. And I think that's important to, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important story to tell to young people as well. I mean, things happen, injuries happen. Um, you may not develop at the pace that other people, you, you know, you, you might not get the same opportunities that you thought you were going to get at certain places, but it doesn't mean your, your life is over. I've seen so many, so many athletes have a hard time transitioning from their, their life as a student athlete or as an athlete into just being what we call just normal, uh, being a non-athlete. And I think that's a, um, the source of a lot of uh, mental stress um, that, that, former athletes go through um and you know mental health is very important these days i think it's becoming more and more uh acceptable to talk about those sort of things um so um but yeah i'm just really i'm really um thankful i'm I'm proud of them for doing more with their life and and having wonderful families and, and you know despite maybe not living up to what other people thought that they should have athletically Oh, man, that's excellent. Thanks a lot for answering it like that, because obviously it's that bond. But you guys are the soldiers, the future and the leaders moving forward. Take one minute for us, because I know that we'll be coming to an end very shortly. Um, You talked about your COVID-19 project. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. Can you give us another just minute or two on what that project is all about? Because I know it looks like you're pouring your heart into it right now. Yeah, so um, I was at Arizona State. Uh, I was 
sport administrator and um, a special projects coordinator. And that was, that's what I was when I left there, but I was there for eight years uh, in various roles. But uh, after, uh, I guess in the fall of 2018, I stepped away from it just for, again, mental health reasons. Uh, frustrations with the job and whatnot. And so I, I stepped away from ASU and um, I got an opportunity to help a former Stanford teammate start a uh, COVID testing lab here in Scottsdale. And, um, you know, it's at the time, it was something that a lot of people weren't doing and it was something that the community needed. And so it was a great opportunity for me to just learn. I was pushed outside of my comfort zone where I was, you know, now in the uh, health and medical field and I was working in sales, which is something that I'm not naturally good at. And so it, it was something that I, I feel like I should improve on this. And I was throwing myself into the fire there. And uh, what we did was like they, they bought a, a testing uh, machine and the idea was to take it around to schools and, um, nursing homes to get this, uh, especially the nursing homes, that segment of society was kind of forgotten about initially. And, uh, so it, it, it was, uh, it was nice. It, it has been nice for me to kind of see, to be on the ground floor and, and work from you kind of the day one of the, um, the opening of a business and seeing how things change over time and how you adjust and, uh, reshift your, your focus and priorities to, stay relevant and stay uh stay profitable so that's excellent man thank you very much man thanks for coming on the show you know i love you man you know i miss you i don't see you as no normally as much as i want to let me turn you back over to coach state as we wrap up hey i i don't know what to say man i've just been blown out the water by what i just heard so all i can say man thanks so much uh i'm saying nick look uh, and Luke, do me a favor, man. Hug all those girls, because I know that you and your wife are going to do an awesome job to make sure that all three of them girls, most likely, are going to be staying for college. I can't imagine any of those girls going to UCLA or hey. USC. Hey, hey, they ain't going to Cal. <laughs> well, hey, I just want everybody to know. We had no other than the great Blue Powell. I mean, look here, you can't say it no better way. Thank you again for being here with me. Get out with Pearsall, Coach T.K. Here at the Watkins Awards. We'll see you next week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Lou. Thank you. See you next Monday. Put your mind to it.